Is God real? Are the stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to A Closer Look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the Word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now for a closer look into God's Word? call your attention, please, to Judges chapter 6. We're going to spend a couple of sessions, at least, perhaps as many as three, dealing with the next character, Gideon. Uh, today we're going to look at his call experience, and then we're going to look at some of the exploits that takes place with Gideon. Uh, as, we, as we move into Gideon's story, it's important that we understand uh, the relevance of the Gideon story uh, to the book of Judges. Gideon uh, is a reluctant judge. He's the first instance that we have of a reluctant judge, a judge who's always telling the Lord, okay, I'll do it, but now you gotta prove to me that, 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 that this is really you and that this is what you really want me to do. Some, some people say, well, didn't we have that with Deborah, no, Deborah wasn't reluctant. Barak was reluctant. Barak said, I'm not going anywhere unless you go with me. But Barak wasn't the judge, Deborah was. This, in this instance, it is the judge himself, Gideon, who is reluctant to follow the instruction of God, not because he wants to be disobedient, but because he, he needs extra assurance. Some of you all might know people like that. Some, some of you all might be people like that, where, 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 where you need a little extra assurance that, that, that this is what you want me to do, that this is what you are calling me to. That's the case with Gideon. And uh, as we look into his story, what we come to find is that once he is convinced that it is the Lord who is doing it, then he's more than willing to participate and do what the Lord asks him to do. I want us to focus today on verses 11 through 22 of Judges chapter 6. Uh, the, the first part just deals with the fact that Manasseh has fallen into uh, uh, idol worship and has fallen under the subjection of the Midianites. We really don't need to read that part. Uh, you can pick up with verse 11. One day, the angel of God came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, whose son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress out of sight of the Midianites. The angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, O mighty warrior. Gideon replied, with me, my master? If God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about, telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has nothing to do with us. 
he has turned us over to Midian. But God faced him directly. Go in this strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you? Gideon said to him, me, my master, how and with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me, my clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the runt of the litter. God said to him, I'll be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian as one man. Gideon said, if you're serious about this, do me a favor. Give me a sign to back up what you're telling me. Don't leave until I come back and bring you my gift. He said, I'll wait till you get back. Gideon went and prepared a young goat and a huge amount of unraised bread, that is unleavened bread. He used over half a bushel of flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and took them back under the shade of the oak tree for a sacred meal. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and unraised bread, place them on that rock and pour the broth on them. Gideon did it. The angel of God stretched out the tip of the stick he was holding and touched the meat and the bread. Fire broke out of the rock and burned up the meat and bread while the angel of God slipped away out of sight. And Gideon knew it was the angel of God. Gideon said, oh no, master God, I've seen the angel of God face to face. All right, so who is this fellow Gideon? His name literally means hewer or feller, hew, as in someone who throws something. Uh, uh, he was the son of a man named Joash, who was an Abizrite. He was from the town of Ophrah, also known as Jerub Baal, in the Manasseh territory of Samaria, a short distance from Mount Gerizim. We remind you that while Judges talks about Israel as though it were a nation, it is not. So when it says that Gideon was the judge of Israel, it's really saying that he was the judge of this particular tribe of Israel, and that being the tribe of Manasseh. Why is it that the children of Israel, why is it that Manasseh is under subjection? Well, look at verse one, and you'll see why. It says, yet again, the people of Israel went back to doing evil in God's sight. God put them under the domination of Midian for seven years. Seven is generally considered to be a number of completion. And so at the end of the seventh year, God seeks to bring them out from under this correction and to restore independence to them. But in order to do that, he needs Gideon's let me correct myself. He wants Gideon's cooperation. Don't let anybody walk out here saying he needs. No, he wants Gideon's cooperation in this endeavor. So he comes upon Gideon. And, and, and I want you to see the interchange uh, of, of how the story is told. I, I remind you that Old Testament was never, was not initially written. I shouldn't say was never, was not initially written. It was uh, oral tradition. 
It was, it, it was stories that were told. And sometimes the stories get uh, intertwined as they became recorded. So in, in some stories it says that it was the angel of the Lord. In other stories it says it was God himself. We are clear on the fact that God's presence appeared before Gideon, whether he was called the angel of God or whether it was called God directly, it was God's presence that was there. And when God appears to Gideon, he says to Gideon, God is with you. That ought to be some assurance. When you're going through trouble, as Gideon has gone through trouble, as his people have gone through trouble, there ought to be some reassurance in the word coming from God that says, I am with you. God does not say to Gideon after they are out of the trouble, I am with you. God says to Gideon as they are still in the trouble, I am with you. That's good news for us because all of us are in trouble of one sort or another. And if you ain't in trouble, just wait. <laughs> it's coming. So, so, so that there is reassurance in the fact that, that, that the angel says, I am with you. Then there's reassurance in the fact that he calls him a mighty warrior. He identifies Gideon as something that Gideon has not yet shown himself to be. And that's important because what it suggests is God knows who and what we are, even if we don't know who and what we are. God knows what you're capable of, even if you're not sure of what you're capable of. God knows what he put in you. And so for him, it's just a matter of you recognizing what he has put in you and allowing him to bring it out of you. What is it that, that, that God says to Jeremiah? Uh, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you, I had plans for you. Now, the fact that God has plans for us does not mean that what God plans for us is always what happens. Because if that were the case, then, then the man would not have free moral agency. What it means is the potential is there. Now, you have to recognize the potential, and then you have to do something with it. Anybody here know somebody, a child, a grandchild, a spouse, a sibling, who you knew had potential, but they never fulfilled the potential that they had for one reason or another, they, they, they never rose to the level of the potential that they possessed. That's what God knows about it. God knows what you're capable of doing. God knows what you have the capacity to do, even if you don't know. And so he addresses Gideon, assures him of his presence, and then says, you're a mighty warrior. Ain't fought a battle, ain't been in a scrap, and yet God calls him a mighty 
warrior. God sees us not for who we are, but for who he has purposed us to be. And so if God says something about us that we don't necessarily see in ourselves, you ought to try to live up to what God says you can be. Don't let folk define who you are. Jesus says some wonderful things about you. Jesus says you're the light of the world. Don't let folk tell you you less than that. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. Don't let people tell you that you are less than what God says you are. And once you know what God says you are, then you should aspire to live up to what God says you are. Gideon doesn't get it yet. Because when, 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 when God addresses him and, and, and says, I am with you and, and that you are a mighty warrior, Gideon's response is with a complaint. With me. You with me. Well, why don't I see any evidence of the fact that you are with me? You know, I've heard a whole lot about you. If, if you are who, who, who folks say you are. My parents and my grandparents told me stories about how you delivered us from Egypt and how, how you kept us out of bondage, brought us out of bondage and, and delivered us from one problem after another. And yet, look at where we are. So I, I, I've got complaints. I'm not sure. Didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has nothing to do with us. That's, that, that, that's his response. God has nothing to do with us. I want us to understand, it is always an error to look only at the result to the neglect of the cause. You in trouble. I understand you not wanting to be in trouble, but take some ownership of the trouble that you're in. If you're in a mess, you must have had something to do with it. We, we talked about this last time. This whole idea of innocent suffering, this whole idea of stuff happening to me and I didn't have anything to do with it, it just happened. There is such a thing as collateral suffering. No question about it. But most of what you're going through, you're responsible for it. You do things, you say things, you think things. And the fact that you can't think about what it is you did, said, or thought just goes to show how cavalier you are about what you're doing. That's the word for it. Comfortable with it. I'm comfortable with doing what I'm doing. I'm comfortable with saying what I'm saying. I'm comfortable with, I'm comfortable with my wrong. How many of y'all say, I've been this way for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years? When I get to your number, just tell me to stop. <laughs> I'm too old to change now. That should not be our attitude. We should not look at the result to the neglect of the cause. Because once you identify what the cause is, it helps us to recognize why we're in the mess we're in and the steps that are necessary to get out of the mess 
that you're in. In most cases, when we look at the result to the neglect of the cause, we're simply trying to escape responsibility for our status. And that should not be our attitude. Too many today want to decry our status and not engage in a sober examination of how we got to be in the place that we are in. And if you do that, then you, you are guaranteeing that you're going to stay there longer. I don't know anybody who gets out of a mess complaining that they're in a mess. Everybody is allowed their moment. Something happens to you, you get a moment. Some people will give you two. Around moment three, folk tied up. Something happens to your life, oh baby, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's the first time you say it. Second time you come back, yeah, I know. You ain't the only one who's had that problem. Everything's gonna be right. By the time you start telling that same story the third time, they tired of hearing it. And you ought to get tired of telling it. Because by that point, you've added stuff to the story that wasn't even part of the story in the first place. Amen. In order to, to, to start the process of redemption, in order to start the process of rehabilitation, we have to acknowledge our own culpability for the, for the situations in which we find ourselves. I want you to notice how God responds to him. God doesn't give Gideon a pity party. The next verse, verse 14 says, God faced him directly. Go in this strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you? God is not going to sit around and cry with you. God is not going to give you explanations. I don't know what's going to happen in heaven. I, I, I would like to believe that I get to have some time with God and I get to talk to God about some stuff because I got some stuff I'd like to talk to him about. And by the way, I already know I'm going to heaven. So y'all can send me wherever you want. God's already got me in, in heaven. But, but, but I do know this. In this life, God doesn't spend a whole lot of time uh, consoling us in our self-pity. God is a consoler. But God does not want you to just lay around in self-pity all the time. God does not address Gideon's complaint. And that's what Gideon is doing, complaining. Look at where my people are. You calling me a warrior. Look at where we are. You're saying that I'm this, that, and the other. But I'm looking at where I am. God says, I know where you are, but I also know where you're going to be. And where you're going to be is different from where you are. And so... We have to recognize that God is not going to join us in the pity party. What God is going to do is direct you as to what you can do to get out of it. What's the first imperative that God says? He says, go. Go involves movement. If you want to get out of the mess that you're in, move. Don't settle in and stay there. Don't say this is where I am and this is where I'm going to be. You have to be prepared to move. And you have to be prepared to move 
at God's command. I'm not suggesting idle movement. Because somebody's going to see a man and say, well, what about the passage where he says, be still and know that I am God? I knew that was coming out of somebody's mouth. Well, if he says, be still, be still. Who's the one who says, go? Read the passage. Don't look at me. It's right there in verse 14. Who says, go? So if God says, go, what are you doing standing still? If he says go, what are you doing stuck in the same place where you have been? The imperative is to go. Move from where you are to where you are needed. As this is the imperative that God gives to Gideon, it is also the imperative that God gives to his church. The church of Jesus Christ cannot stay in one place and do the work that God would have it do. It's a wonderful thing to have a tradition. It's a wonderful thing to have a heritage. It's a wonderful thing to know where you've come from and what you used to do. But understand this, where you are has nothing to do with where God wants you to be. And if all you do is spend your time looking back at where you came from, and you take no time to consider where God wants you to go. If all you do is complain about where you are right now. Do you think that every day is going to be a good day? Do you really believe that every day in your personal life is not a good day? Everybody in here has had bad. You might be going through one right now. You might have had to debate with yourself whether or not you were coming here today because I'm, I got so much else going on. I, I, I watch these people who put these lists of things that they had to do. Somebody had about 20 some odd things on a list yesterday on Facebook. Number one, I don't need to know all 20 things that you did yesterday. But number two, you're suggesting that you're the only person who had a long list. That nobody, that, that nobody else had to deal with the problems, the situations, the, the, the troubles that you had to deal with. Ain't no problem you going through that somebody else hasn't already gone through. So don't get locked into this pity party thing. I, 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 I'm so sad. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so overburdened. That does not help us at all. What helps is that when God says move, you are willing to move from where you are to where God wants you to be. That's true of us as individuals. That's true of us as churches. Shiloh is 146 years old, will be 147 years old, or will celebrate his 147th anniversary uh, in August. What Shiloh was 146 years ago, thank God for it. What Shiloh was 100 years ago, thank God for it. What Shiloh was 50 years ago, thank God for it. What Shiloh was 20 years ago, thank God for it. What Shiloh was yesterday, thank God for it. But, it but, but if all you can do is sit back and say, now you know, in 72 we did this. In 84 we did that. In 96 we did that. And you have no vision for the future. What you find is that the church stagnates because you're spending all your time looking at where you've been and not where God wants you 
to go. Let me say this, because I'm looking at older people primarily in here. Uh, some of this comes with the fact that you're older. Some of y'all been in Shiloh 40, 50, maybe more years. And, 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 and so as you get older, you think that the work is equivalent to you. You don't want to get up and go to work in the morning. That's why y'all here right now, because y'all, y'all retired. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I don't have to go to work no more. It's a wonderful thing to be retired from that job. But can I tell you, you ain't retired from this job. And the church never retires to serve the present age. My calling to fulfill. The beautiful thing about that is there's always a present age. There's always going to be a next generation that needs to know about Jesus. There's always going to be a next generation that needs the ministry that this church has the potential of providing. So the fact that you tired and retired from your job, tired and retired, the fact that you're tired and retired from your job does not give you the right to be tired from this. Jesus's command to his disciples as he ascended into heaven, according to Matthew 28, was as you go, make disciples. I know the King James Version just puts the go part, but the literal translation is as you go, make disciples. And there, there, there is a difference between just go and make disciples and as you go. Go and make disciples suggests that there's a special group that's supposed to do this. As you go means everybody, wherever you are, make disciples. That's your job. Now, you might not go today where you went yesterday or where you went five years ago. Somebody was on the job five years ago. You don't go to the job no more, but you go somewhere. I watch y'all on Facebook. I, I know y'all, y'all go all over as you go. Make disciples. Y'all go to clubs and y'all go to parks and y'all go to museums and y'all go with your fraternity and y'all go with your sorority and y'all go with your civic group as you go. Make disciples. Y'all go to your reunions, your high school reunion, your college reunion, your, your line reunion. Y'all go to all that stuff as you go. Make disciples. You don't get to retire from this work. It is God's expectation of us. Moving on to what is next. Not getting caught up with what was or even what is, but always having a vision of what God has next in store for us. The command to Gideon is go. In addition to go, the command is to save. Now, the word save literally in the Hebrew is deliver. So when God says to Gideon, go save Israel from Midian, he's saying 
go and deliver Israel, literally Manasseh, the tribe of Manasseh. Go and deliver Manasseh from the clutches of the Midianites. Now, it is significant to note that accompanying the call to deliver is the assurance of divine strength and companionship. What does he say? But God faced him directly, go in this strength that is yours. What is this strength? God's strength. And he doesn't just say this strength. He says this strength that is yours. In other words, I have lent you my strength. That's powerful, especially in the Old Testament. I've told you before, the work of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, post-Pentecost, is very different from the work and the, and, the, and the movement of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, pre-Pentecost. Every believer, every person in this room can say, I have the Holy Spirit. But pre-Pentecost, when you said, I had the Holy Spirit, you're saying something that not everybody else in the room could say. When, 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 when the Lord says to Gideon, go in this strength, he's saying, go in the spirit that I have given you. I have put my spirit in you, which means what? You ain't by yourself. It is a wonderful thing to know that no matter what it is you are challenged with, you're not by yourself. Remember, the first thing he said to him is, I'm with you in your mess. Now he's telling him, you're going to get out of your mess, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way out of your mess. Coaches are wonderful things, but coaches can't do but so much for you. If you've ever been involved in any kind of athletic activity where you had a coach, or if you've ever been involved in any kind of activity where you had a coach, coaches can tell you what to do, coaches can suggest to you what to do, but you gotta do it yourself. Coach can't go in there and play ball for you. You gotta go in and play. He can tell you what you need to do, but you gotta do it for yourself. Jesus ain't just our coach. Jesus got coaches beat. Because while coaches can send you in, Jesus says, I'm going with you. I'm not only going to tell you what to do, I'm going to be there with you while you're doing it. I'm going to help you do what I'm telling you to do. Ezekiel says that when the Lord called him, he says, son of man, stand up on your feet. He says, before I could get up, the spirit of the Lord got inside me and lifted me up and put me in the presence of the one who was speaking to me. That's the power of the presence of God in our lives. God does not call us and then tell us to go. God calls us, tells us to go and says, I'm going with you. Go back to Matthew. As you go, make disciples. Teach them whatever I have commanded you. Baptize in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that's not where it ends. It doesn't end until he says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So, so, so what we have in God is better 
than what you can have any place else. He does not just direct us, but he's always with us. I will lend you my strength. I will be your strength because I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Now, what other complaints you got? Ain't that interesting? Because the moment God says all of that, suddenly Gideon moves from complaining to objecting. Gideon said to him, me, my master? How and with what? Could I ever save Israel? Look at me. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the runt of the little. In other words, we ain't much, and I'm the least of the little that we are. I'm just curious. What happened to Big Bad Gideon who was saying, where is God? What happened to Big Bad Gideon who said, they told us all about God, and yet I ain't seen no evidence of God. Okay, well, now God has shown himself, and all of a sudden, Big Bad Gideon becomes, I can't do nothing. I don't have any ability. I'm, I'm so small. I'm so weak. I'm so puny. Why would you? I'm sure you can find somebody else who can do this better than I can. Is that your position today? Are you, are you one of those people who vacillates between two things? Either you complaining about what's not being done, or you're objecting to somebody asking you to do it. Because, because, because if you're either one of them, it's hard for God to use you. It's hard for you to see change that you want to see if all you're doing is complaining about what ain't and saying, I can't be accountable to make it what it ought to be. Gideon heard what God said, but he wasn't listening. My mother used to say that about me all the time. She used to say, you're hearing me, but you ain't listening. I guess some of y'all say that too. But, 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 but God said, go in this strength, my strength. God said, you're going to go and you're going to save people because I've made it possible for you to do it and I'm going to be with you. And yet Gideon responds discounting what God said, like he didn't even hear it. Gideon says, I'm so small. God says, it no matter what size you are, I'm with you. Gideon says, my tribe is, well, I don't care how many folk you got. Do you know that when I'm with you, it doesn't matter whether or not anybody else is with you? He heard, but he wasn't listening. He heard, but he wasn't willing to embrace it. He heard it, but he discounted it because he believed in the tangible over the intangible. Faith is the ability to believe in something before it happens on the basis of the one who told you it's going to happen. Now, now usually when we talk about faith in here, we're always talking about faith in God. But before you had faith in God, you had faith in somebody else. You had faith in a parent or a grandparent that if they said you could do something, that you could do it. 
You didn't know you could do it before you did it. But they told you you could do it. And you believed that you trusted them. And they, you were able to do because they said you could. That's what God wants. He wants, Jesus takes a child and puts him in the midst of his disciples. And he says, you have to have the kind of belief, the kind of faith, the kind of innocent faith with no empirical data that this child has. In this world, we, we do everything by empirical data. And that's why we're always saying, I can't see it. I don't understand it. Show me, show me that again, because I can't see how that's going to, because that's the way we've been trained. That, that, that's what our education tells us to do, that, that there has to be a logical sequence of events that we can follow that will help us see that. But when it comes to spiritual things, you got to throw logic and reason and rationality away. God wants us to believe it simply because he said it. Not because I see it, but because he said it. Elijah was told by God that rain was going to come. And, and, and Elijah goes up on a mountain and he sits down on the ground. And scripture gives a beautiful truth. It says he sits down on the ground and he bends over as far as he can until his face is in the dirt. And he tells his servant, you go yonder and look, and I'm going to stay here and pray. The servant goes, and, and he looks, and he don't see nothing. And he comes back, and he tells Elijah, I, I don't see anything. Elijah says, go back again. So he goes back a second time, and, and, and he's looking. Mind you, Elijah ain't even told him what to look for. He just told him, read the scripture. He just tells him, go and look. And the servant comes back a second time and says, I don't see nothing. Go back again. You keep going back, and I'm going to keep praying. Elijah never gets up and goes himself. Elijah simply tells the servant to go. Elijah says, I'm trusting in God because God said this is going to happen. Elijah couldn't tell the servant what to look for because God didn't tell Elijah what to look for. All God said was, rain is coming. Three times, four times, five times, six times, he goes back. The seventh time, he says, I see a little something. He says, I see a little cloud about the size of a man's hand. Do you know how small a cloud has to be to be about the size of a man's hand? He says, but that's all I see. And Elijah said, that's all you need to see. I'm good now. And Elijah gets up and he girds his, his robe around his waist and the scripture says he runs from where he was on a mountaintop down into the city because he believed in what God told him. 
Not because he saw it and not because God gave him a detailed explanation of it. He believed in what God told him. If we are to do the great things that God has for us to do, then you've got to believe God even when you don't see. You can't wait until you see it. You have to believe it before you see it. Because if you never believe it before you see it, you ain't going to ever see it. You do know that God uses us because he wants to, not because he has to. And if you don't want to see it, and if you don't want to act without seeing it, God will find somebody else. There are people who have missed opportunities simply because they would not trust in God. Young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I, I, I want to be sure that I have eternal life. And he says, well, you know what the law says. He says, I've, I've done all of that. I, I've kept all of that. He says, tell you what, take everything you got and sell it and then give the money to poor folk, and then come follow me. And that boy said, I don't see that. <laughs> Scripture says he shook his head and went away, and we never hear from him again because he put limits on what he could see. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, you can put limits if you want to. Every, everybody in here has the freedom of choice. You can put whatever limits that you want. But every time you put a limit, you are excluding yourself from a wonderful thing that God is going to do for you. How much longer is it going to take? I've been waiting 30 years. I don't know. Just keep waiting. I ain't one of the folks who can tell you it's going to happen on February 4th at 2.45 in the afternoon. And, and that, that ain't my gift. By the way, it ain't nobody else's gift either. <laughs> I don't know when, don't know where, don't know how. But I know that when we keep our trust in God, he exposes us to things that we never thought were even Possible. Gideon goes from saying, God ain't with us, to why are you with me? I'm too small. My people are small, and I'm the smallest of the small people. So why are you here with me? And God tells him why. God said to him, I'll be with you. Believe me, you will defeat. Midian, as one man. When he says as one man, what is he saying to Gideon? He's saying that he, he, he expects harmony. He expects collaboration. The church needs to remember that while we are the church individual, God called us to be the church corporate. In this day and age, fewer people are going to church than at any point in the history of this nation, can't speak for the world, in the history of this nation, 
since such things have been recorded and studied. Fewer people are going to church, have membership in church, than at any point in the history of this nation. And that's a sad thing. I, I, I get the idea I can worship God at home. I get the idea that I can worship God by myself. I get the idea I don't, I, I don't have to be with a group in order to worship God. And you are 100% correct. But there are things that God put us together to do. And I dare say those are the tougher things. You know why? Because you got to put up with folk. And if some of y'all were truly honest with yourselves, some of y'all don't like putting up with folk. I got one person to say amen. <laughs> he said it for everybody else in here. Putting up with folk means that we got to listen to other folks' ideas. Putting up with folk means that we have to tolerate other folks' foolishness. Putting up with other folk means that, that, that sometimes when we're ready to go and the group ain't ready to go, we got to hold back and wait. It's so much easier to do it myself. Yes. And sometimes that's exactly what we have to do. Sometimes somebody's ready to go and the group is saying, no, we got to pray about this. And sometimes you saying, let's pray, and the group is saying, we didn't pray enough, it's time to move. <laughs> Working with folk is a tough thing. And yet it's what we've been called to do. And you shouldn't try to avoid it simply because it's hard. Where would we be if we just avoided all the hard stuff? The church ain't the only thing that's hard in your life. You got, you got other issues in your life that were hard. You've got people in your life that are hard. You got folk that you don't, you got folk in your family you don't want to deal with. It's hard. You invited who to the house? Oh no. I know Super Bowl, even though the Saints ain't playing, I know y'all going to have your little Super Bowl, whatever. And somebody's coming to the house, and, and, and you just find out on Saturday evening that they're coming on Sunday afternoon. Because they know if they tell you, you're going to say, oh, no, they ain't coming to mine. Sometimes they ain't going to tell you at all. They're going to wait till they ring your doorbell. And then when they walk in, you say, can I see you for just a minute? And y'all go back to the bedroom. Who told you to invite so-and-so? What would our lives be if all we did was avoid what's hard? It's so much easier when, when, when I'm doing it just by myself. Yeah, but there are some things that we can't do just by ourselves. There's a reason why God intended for us to come together. First of all, you ain't got all that it takes. I got Jesus and that's enough. Yes, but Jesus didn't give you all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
Bible gives us a, a list, and, and the list is not an exhaustive list, but the Bible gives us a list of gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture makes it clear that none of us have all the gifts. So if there's something that you need to do that requires a gift that you ain't got, what you gonna do then? We gonna just skip that part. No, God didn't call you to skip. God called you to do. Every, and not everybody in here is a member of Shiloh. Every member of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church that's in this room, God put you here to do something. Not just to hold down that pew you've been sitting on since 1974. Like it's gonna fly away if you don't sit on it. God gave you a gift. God gave you a talent. God gave you a skill. God gave you an intuition. God gave you a thought. God gave you an idea. And he wants you to use it in collaboration with your brothers and sisters here in this church. And God ain't interested in your personality disorders. I called you to do something. You're going to tell me about, well, I don't like so-and-so. I don't care. That's God talking, not me. <laughs> I don't care that you don't like so-and-so. I called you to do something. I placed you here to do something. And how dare you have the audacity, the unmitigated gall, I like the word unmitigated, the unmitigated gall to tell God I ain't gonna do it. Cause that means I gotta work with so-and-so. The hard things are where the true blessings are. Shiloh would not be the church that it is if everybody ran away from the hard things. But this congregation faced the hard things. Sometimes, Failed, but when they failed, they got up and they went back again. So this generation ain't gonna be the generation that says we ain't gonna do hard stuff. We're gonna do what the Lord has placed on our hearts to do. I don't see it, you ain't gotta see it. God said we're gonna do it. You're gonna do it as one man. You're going to deliver as one man. Why? Because I am with you. Got it. Thank you. I need to know how much time I got left. Okay, because I can't see that clock up there. So what happens next? Gideon went and prepared a young goat. Huge. I'm sorry. Gideon said, if you're serious about this, do me a favor. Give me a sign to back up what you're telling me. You do know Gideon's story, right? This becomes a pattern of his. Give me a sign. I, I, I need a sign. I, I, I need something. As if me saying I'm with you is not enough. Give me a sign. Well, he got it honest. Do you remember when God called Moses out of a burning bush? I would think that a bush that burns and is not consumed would be enough of a sign. But Moses said, all right, I see that one, but now I need, 
another one. Give me another sign. And, 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 and so God tells Moses, take that stick that you got and throw it on the ground. And the stick becomes a serpent. And he says, pick up the, the, the serpent. And he picks up the serpent and the serpent becomes a stick. And God says, you need anything else? Gideon says, stay around. And, and let me go do this for you. And then I'll be back. And so he goes and he slaughters a goat and he makes unleavened bread, bread without yeast. Uh, and, and, and he brings it along with some broth and he brings it back to the tree where God patiently waits for him. And God tells him, set that stuff over there. And when he set it over there, God causes it to be consumed by fire. And as it is consumed by fire, God's appearance leaves from getting. He no longer sees him. But he saw the evidence by what God did. And when he saw the evidence of what God did, it was enough for Gideon to say, I have been in the presence of the Lord. Let me ask you something. And I'm getting ready to go eat now. Has God ever done anything for you that you didn't think he was going to do? That you didn't think he was capable of? Oh, I know you say, I know God can do anything, but if, if, if you really believe that, then you wouldn't act like you act. You ever get a diagnosis that you were sick and God healed you? You ever been flat broke? I ain't talking about Pretend broke. I'm talking about flat broke. And yet God kept food on your table and clothes on your back and a roof over your head. Have you ever failed and been criticized even though you did the best that you could and yet God lifted you up out of your failure and gave you Another chance. Have you ever been threatened by folk who said they were going to do this to you and they were going to do that to you and that they were going to destroy you and yet God built a hedge around you and protected you from your enemies? Have you ever had folk try to take the food off your table and the clothes off your back and God kept you anyhow and made your enemies your footstool? Have you ever been in a situation where everybody was criticizing you but now they're coming to you because they need what you got? much more does he have to do before you realize that he's with you? How many more times does he have to do it before you realize that he's with you? The wonderful thing about the God we serve is that whatever he says he is, he is. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says or does, God is in control. And at some point, your eyes, your spiritual eyes will pop open and you will realize that I was in the presence of God. It's a powerful moment when that happens because it frees you 
from all kinds of foolishness. It's a terrible thing to be scared all the time. It's a wonderful thing to have no fear. Not have no fear as if I'm gonna go jump off the top of the building. But I have no fear about what anybody is going to do to me. Not that you can't do what you're going to do. But whatever you're going to do, God got me. God had me before you. God got me with you. And God will have me after you. That's a wonderful thing to know. Because it gives you a freedom. It gives you a comfort that you can let go and let God. So Gideon makes all of this stuff and he, he has it all burned up and he says, I know that God is in this place, but we know that that ain't the end of Gideon's story. Because next time we're gonna be talking about fleece and wool. And then we're gonna be talking about folk down by the riverside. Sometimes you gotta get it more than once. Don't get mad and get in, because sometimes you had to get it more than once. May we stand together, please. Since I can remember, uh, my family has always been involved in music. When we were young, uh, my mom and my dad played uh, at our family church, and we would essentially provide the music for it. So uh, as far as that much uh, goes, it's, it's just always been in my life uh, in, in some form or fashion. Started uh, with my family at first, uh, and then it just kind of grew. Uh, when I, At the school that I, uh, I went to, there was a need for musicians. So it didn't matter that I was in second grade or third grade. Uh, could you play the piano? Yes, <laughs> we need you for a service. So um, a, lot of, a lot of it, I was doing it, and I guess I fell in love with it before I knew that it wasn't something that everybody did just because I grew up with it. This is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, inviting you to give consideration to our Early Learning Academy as you look for a place for your pre-K, kindergarten, or first grader. We have outstanding facilities and a wonderful staff of certified teachers itching to serve you. Come by and share with us as soon as you can.